Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, beautiful people, happy Sunday. How are you today? This is the Create Your Life series, episode number nine, and we are so, so happy to be here with you. Uh, Today is going to be a... An insightful treat, I would have to say, as we talked about on the last episode that we had uh, with Chris Chmielinski, May is National Foster Care Month. Being that it's National Foster Care Month, I, as a foster care alumni, find and take this uh, this topic very, very uh, serious and near and dear to my heart. And what I also thought would really be important or amazing was for me to share my foster care experience with you all, the Create Your Life Series family, and also shed insight to those who are unfamiliar with what foster care is, how important it is, also for those professionals or those foster parents to understand how I navigated the system in order to create the life that I wanted because a lot came from that experience and that experience actually helped me and turned me into who I am today. And so I want to uh, relay those best practices and things that I feel made me uh, into the man that I am today. And the foster care experiences was definitely one of the, the huge aspects of that. That being said, I want to just say right now that on my website, kevinwybrown.com, if you go on to the, click on the tab that says free, you can actually receive a document that I created called the 10 Habits of Highly Successful Foster Care Children. And these habits are actually, they're comprised from the things that I've learned while having conversations with my foster care brothers and sisters here in the United States, as well as in Japan. And when I was in Japan, there were foster, I had foster care brothers and sisters from, from all over the world who were shedding insight in the things that worked and that made some of their alumni successful. So I took that and comprised it into a document that is absolutely for free. It's very in-depth and teaches a lot of different steps and, and gives away different tools that can definitely be used and picked up. And even if you weren't in foster care, I'm telling you, that one through ten list is definitely something that will help you navigate and help you prosper in life. So today, as we move forward, I also want to uh, tell you a, a bit about my story and, and what uh, being in foster care was actually like. And so actually, even before we go and start there, I want to tell you about foster care. So there's foster care and there's adoption. And I always get this question. What is the difference between foster care and adoption? People always ask me, weren't you adopted? I'm like, no, I remained in foster care the, my entire experience. And so foster care, the difference between foster care and adoption is foster care, you can always be given back. You know, you're still a ward of the state and of the of the court, whereas if when you're adopted, it's like someone taking you into their home and giving you their last name and you're theirs to keep. I mean, in certain situations, there are also some things called failed adoptions where someone can be adopted and then actually be given back, which uh, through conversations and through um, observing is very, very hurtful, but it is part of the actual experience. So you can actually go from being adopted into being a foster care kid again. And I always relate the foster care experience to similarly being an employee at a temp agency. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, when you go and you want to be hired by a temp agency, you show up best candidate as possible. They send you out on an assignment and you're working and working and working. And then sometimes they tell you, oh, the assignment's going to be three months. The assignment's going to be a year. You know, are you looking for a long-term assignment? This, that, and the third. And so you're there. You're putting in your best effort, your best work, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, if you do something wrong there at the 
at the temp agency or at the, at the job that you've been assigned to, they can call your temp agency and actually um, tell you that you can know your temp agency will then call you and tell you that you're no longer uh, need to go back to that work assignment. And so when being in care, the funny thing, the parallel is, is that you never really know how long uh, one of your um, living assignments is going to last. And then you're always, you, then after a while, after you keep experiencing this, you're switching homes and things like that, then you, it becomes, you become unsure as to if it's wise to even start to build relationships, right? So if you keep losing jobs and things like that in the real world, if you were working for a temp agency and you kept losing jobs, then you might not continue to build relationships with the people at those different jobs that you're going to because you think that it's always temporary. And then somebody's always going to remind you and, and when you're in foster care that you're like family, but you're not family. And when you're at a temp agency, there are certain perks that people who are full-time employees get versus those who are there on temporary assignment. And the funny part is, is that even when you're there and you're doing temporary work, you might be doing the same work as someone next to you, but they're getting a higher pay. And oftentimes in foster care, you're doing the same work as the other foster care children, meaning that you're going to school, that you're doing your chores and things like that. But when it comes time for holidays, you know, gifts, birthday celebrations and things like that, you might end up with the short end of the stick. And that is an interesting way to live your life. Because we're not talking about, you know, you, you quitting this job or telling the temp agency that you can no longer handle this assignment. We're talking about the way that you're actually living life. This is you every single day, depending on the living situation that you're in. And so I really wanted to break that down so that you can understand what foster care, what's going on in our minds. And now I'd like to tell you more about my experience. So for me, I ended up in foster care at nine months. I remained in foster care until I was 18 years old. But at nine months, myself and my older sister, who's about three and a half years older than me, say four, we both went into care. And we went into care. Naturally, she and I, we built a very strong bond where she was pretty much my mother. I mean, if when I was younger, like I would sneak out of my bed and go and get in the bed with her. Uh, when she went to the bathroom, I would wait by the door. When she made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I was right there. I want one, too. If she walked out of a room, I would cry. And so she and I, we built this bond, this mother-son bond. It was, it was way deeper than a, than a big brother, I mean, big sister-little brother bond because she was all that I had and also the only person that I knew. And so when I was about three years old, we were actually taken to the, the child welfare office and we were, I'm going to speed this up a little bit, we were separated. And I was taken off to this family, and she was taken somewhere else for a girl's home. I guess they couldn't find a home for a boy and a girl, a brother and a sister. So I went to this family. I remember the social worker taking me up this long, windy hill and driving me way out, away from my sister. And I was crying the entire time, just crying, crying, crying. And so I get to these people's house, and then I'm, I'm there, and you know they, they want to feed me. I refuse to eat. They're trying to cheer me up, trying to give me candy and things like that. I'm not eating. I'm just crying. And the whole time I'm saying, I want my sister. I want my sister. I want my sister. And so after about a day or two, they called my social worker and said, okay, you're going to have to come and get this kid. He really needs his sister. And so I remember my social worker coming to get my sister and I. And they came and got us, got me, took me to my sister. And that was the first time since we had been separated that I actually stopped crying when I wasn't asleep. At that very moment was when my life made sense again and it returned back to normal for me all I needed was my sister at that point and so from there now they got the picture that they could not separate my sister and I and so of course they took my sister and and I to a shelter where we could actually stay and so the shelter was in San Francisco and we stayed there for a while and then it was funny because it seemed like all of the kids were leaving like, you know, we started out with this mass amount of kids in this shelter, and then the numbers kept dwindling down. And then, lo and behold, we found out that the shelter was closing. At this point, I'm about five years old. Now, also when I was five years old, when I was younger, I never, I didn't talk to other people. I only talked to my older sister. So she was pretty much my lifeline. I would just look and observe. Very uh, quiet young man. And so she was... We were there. Everybody was leaving. We were trying to figure out, well, what's going on? Like, how come we're not leaving? And in all honesty, I think it was because we were a pair and no one wanted to take a pair. And so 
we stayed there. And then one day, this this older woman comes in and she, and they call me and my sister into a room and we were sitting there with this older woman. And I'm sitting there, I'm just playing with my toys and my sister is actually talking. I don't know if she's negotiating. I don't know what she's doing. But my sister's talking and as long as I'm by my sister, I'm fine. And so she's talking and, you know, after about what seemed like 45 minutes to an hour to me, maybe it was shorter, we were packing up our bags and I was trying to take every single toy out of that out of the closing shelter with me, and we were on our way to Vallejo, California. And so we end up in Vallejo, California, and the woman who who came and got us from the foster care system, her name is Mary Jackson, one of my angels. Uh, And so she came and got us. We went to Vallejo, and that's when I started school. And (laughs) starting school in Vallejo, kind of getting acclimated. And so, you know, our first few days there, you know, I'm still quiet. Not really speaking much. My sister's a bit more social than I am. And slowly but surely, I started to break out of my shell. And then, of course, we went to school. And when we got to school, I'm thinking, oh, man, I heard somebody say that we were foster kids. So I started telling everybody, hey, man, we're foster kids and this, that, and the other. And I quickly learned that that was not the way to go about doing things. (laughs) Because my older sister told me that if I told another person that we were foster kids, she was going to wring my neck. So... At that point, I decided that it was not in my best interest to tell people that I am a foster kid or that my older sister was a foster kid and to keep our business to ourselves and that that was probably uh, something to be ashamed of. And so I went on like that for a while. Well, and so that was basically the status of how we went about things. So, you know, of course, we make up some story. We're related to the family that we're that we're actually there with and living in Vallejo with, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're growing up at about seven years old. I had the opportunity to join the Omega Continentals of Omega Boys and Girls Club. And so I attended there. It's like a boys and girls club, except for this one was founded by Mr. Fillmore Graham, who's a member of uh, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. And so I went there a lot, literally almost every single day. And that's where I met my friends and also got like uh, torch club leadership training for Mr. Pelter Stewart and Keystone leadership training when I got older and things like that. So I mark the Omega Boys and Girls Club right now because it plays a very instrumental role in my story. At nine years old, something very important happened. My biological mother came to our foster, our foster home, my sister and I. She came to our foster home with my sister's biological father. And so the whole time we were growing up, I was always wondering, like, well, how come me and my older sister don't really look alike? Once she told us that my sister had a dad and that I didn't, it kind of drove a little wedge between us because, you know, kids are mean. And so at that point, Kiana is, she's about 13, I'm nine. And so I'm saying to myself, man, wow, I don't have a dad. And of course, they're t- she's teasing, everybody else is teasing, oh, you were born in the garbage can, all of this stuff. You know, kids are, are kids. And so I'm kind of like, wow, you know, what's going on? And then, you know, fast forward one year later in the summer, I come home after school one day. Of course, my sister's still my hero. And I walk in the house and the social workers are there and Kiana's there and and everybody's there and she's got some bags packed. And I'm saying, okay, well, what's going on here? And they say, oh, well, she's leaving and... I'm like, oh, okay, cool. She's leaving? Cool. Let me go get my stuff. We're, we're out. Where are we going? Where are we moving to? And that's when I get the news. They tell me, oh, no, you're not leaving. She's leaving. We don't think that this would be the best move for you uh, because of your behavioral history and patterns of your visitations with your biological family. And so, of course, so the let me back up a little bit with my older sister. One of the biggest things was is that she was very smart or is very smart. And so that's something that I took after her in, but in terms of behavior, I did not model after her. I was definitely, I did. I was one of those kids that had to do, I mean, even still as an adult, I do whatever I want. And oftentimes that required me being into things that I probably shouldn't have been into. And so, you know, lots of referrals and fights and things like that. And so, she basically left at the age of 10. And so that was a very, very major point in my life. And it's a major point because at that point I was on my own, at least so I felt in my life where this is, this is all me now. 
10 years old. So immediately I act out. So for the next two years, I'm just not acting cordially, to say the least. And I wind up getting myself put out of the foster home that I was in 11 days before I turned 12. And so from that point, I moved into another foster home. Now, it's funny because, you know, everything that glitters is not gold. I went to this other foster home and I mean, it it was, it looked nicer, you know, the parents seemed nicer and things like that. Antoine Fisher. The mom was like Antoine Fisher, man. Like it it was just, it was unreal. The experience uh, was, it just wasn't a, it wasn't the kind that you want to, that you want in your life. You know, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but so I stayed at that home and during my time at this home, I experienced several different things, you know, uh, as I was getting older in the foster care system, I learned that as you get older, people don't usually want you. And so as you're getting older and people don't usually want you, that means that the older foster care children usually end up in group homes. So even though in this particular home there was like physical abuse, uh, mental and emotional, I still wanted to stay there because I knew good and well that I didn't want to go back to another group home by the time I turned five my sister and I had been in nine different placements so the goal was to try to establish and this is in my own thinking was to try to establish some type of uh, permanency or regulatory um, at least I guess normalized thought pattern or life perception so in order to do that I didn't want to continue moving around because if I kept moving around then I would have to make up some more stories about how I'm related to these people and of course I didn't want to end up at a high school in a different city. So I'm saying to myself, all right, you know, you you're you're 12 years old, 14 years old, you got four more years. You got six more years. You just have to you're going to have to endure in order to get to where you want to in life. But let me back up a little bit more. So I, I moved there at 12, 6th grade. Things are cool, playing sports, things like that. And, of course, I'm at the Omega Boys and Girls Club every single day where I meet my friends. And so I have my friends, uh, John and Tron, and these guys are really, really great artists at this point. And so I'm there with Jonathan and Tron, and I'm like, man, you guys are drawing really, really cool stuff. And, of course, I didn't have the nicest clothes, so I definitely learned how to how to talk a lot of mess because people would talk about you, you know, if you didn't have the nice gear in the Bay Area in Vallejo, we call it sigging, S-I-G-G-I-N. So they would be sigging on me. So, of course, I had to learn how to sig and I became one of the best at every school that I went to, you know, partially because I was skinny with a really long hook head, but also because my gear was not fly. And, you know, so we would, well, that's something that we would do. But also because I didn't have, or I knew that my foster parents weren't going to give me the clothes that I wanted. Then I started to draw the clothes that I wanted, but I wasn't as good as artists as those guys. And they could also play basketball. And I was had played baseball as my first sport, so I was out actually awkward on the basketball court as well. And so what I would do is is that I would draw with those guys and play basketball with them. And then when they weren't around, I would go to the courts and I, I would sit up at home late at night and I would draw as well. And slowly but surely, I started to catch up to their level with the drawing. And so then we all formed a clothing company together. And the name of that clothing company was KJT, which stood for Kevin, Jonathan, and Tron. And KJT, we had a little song. (laughs) We had a little song and it went, KJT, top dollar with the gold flea collar, dipping in my blue Impala, KJT. And so the funny part about that is we just made that up. Actually, John, John Rice made that up. And it was based off of a Snoop Dogg song that went D, P, G, and the same hook. So, you know, we had our, our clothing line together and we were really bringing it together. And then after a while, we all ended up separating. So I had a, I had a company, mine's was called uh, Silent Assassin, I believe. Tron's was called Woosh 2. And John had went off and John was doing uh, some other things. And so me and Tron kind of stuck with it and things like that. And as we got to high school... We kept drawing, but then naturally I got some words of advice from some mentors and they told me that Silent Assassin wasn't a good name. And so that's when I came up with K1. And so my clothing company in college was called K1 Apparel. And as far as basketball, I worked on basketball so much and had the opportunity to join like NJB teams and play in high school, I mean, play in junior high. And so when we got older and we got to high school and we had high school uh, tryouts out of the 160 people who tried out for our, our high school team 
I was one of the 11 who made it, but that was all through, you know, learning from my friends and pushing myself on a personal note away from them. And so in college, I mean, and so in, in high school, you know, you're still dealing with the same things as far as home life. So I'm, I'm doing whatever I can in order to stay away from home. So I'm, I'm joining, I joined the leadership team. I mean, the leadership uh, class. I joined uh, the basketball team. One year I even played football, whatever it took in order to stay away from home because I, was, I figured out that when I was at home, I was getting in trouble for small things that the, the biological children weren't getting in trouble for. I mean, I remember being pulled, told that I couldn't go and play in a high school basketball game because there was literally a scrap of paper on my floor. Whereas when I went and looked into the biological children's rooms, I mean, their rooms were a mess, but it, it was fine for them. And, and so these are the type of things that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis of being treated less than and stuff like this. And I know that this is not native to my foster care experience, but even with that, I remember one time also I was pulled away um, into my foster parents' room and they read me the statistics of foster care children. You know, when they talked about how 80% of us um, are a part, are usually, 80% of people who are incarcerated have been through the foster care system at least once. And, you know, that only, that between 2 to 9% of us go to college, but only 3% of us graduate. And 60% of the young ladies who are in foster care are going to end up pregnant before 21. And all of these different negative statistics that they read off. You know, and at this time, those numbers were even lower or even higher, should I say, because we're, we're talking about older research, not the most updated, which is this, which are the statistics that I just read to you. And so they tell me this and then they just send me on my way. And it was at that point that I realized I said to myself, I said, you know what? Something's wrong here. These people are trying to break me. And I remember having I remember breaking down in the bathroom, uh, just crying. One day saying, what am I going to do? What, like, how am I going to get out of this? And later on, the, the, the answers to that would be revealed. But I remember having that breakdown, saying to myself, like, I, this is not going to be my reality. I'm not going to be that foster care kid that ends up, um, that ends up a statistic. If, if it's going to be a statistic, it's going to be a, a positive one. I'm going to contribute to it positively. And so, again, I'm learning and I'm, I'm listening to the trainings that are going on at the Continentals of Omega Boys and Girls Club, which at this point, little did I know, is actually really my lifeline. And so I'm going there. Then I have the opportunity to go on the, the college tours with the Omega Boys and Girls Club. And the college tours, they really, really helped. Um, they really, really helped shape my understanding of what college is and what it possibly could be. But I still didn't think that I could go. And so one day when I got kicked out of um, when I got kicked out of some standardized testing because I realized that one of my teachers was trying to give me a was not even trying to was determined to give me a C because I passed all of her her tests, but would go to sleep in her class. I got kicked out of class. Well, I walked out of the test and then the campus security picked me up and told me that they were going to take me to the office and call my parents. And so one of the ladies who was now a who's my ninth grade photography teacher now turned um, she worked in the academic center. She said that she was going to call my parents. And I said, I don't care. Call them. I'm a foster kid anyway. It doesn't matter. Because at this point, I'm upset. And my foster mother had pulled me off of the basketball team at this point. And so I was like, I, I was just done. And so this woman, she says, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean you don't care? I'm like, I don't, I don't care, man. Like, do whatever you want. Like, nothing's going to happen. Like, there's nothing you can do to me. I can't play basketball, so what's up? And so at this point, she says, well, let me talk to you. And so I go and I talk to her and I'm listening to her. And she says, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to have my own clothing company. I want to be a host for MTV. And I want to move as far away from here as possible. And I want to create the life that I want where I don't have any, any rules and I don't have to listen to anybody. She says, okay. I'm like, okay. You know, because a lot of people, they might ask you, like, what is it that you, that you want to do with your life? What is it that you want? But they don't usually say, okay. And she's like, you can do that. I'm like, oh, okay. And she says, you know what? I'm going to help you. Why why aren't you on the basketball team? I said, well, because I participated in boycotting the coach, but my foster parents didn't tell me that I couldn't, but they got upset that I did. But that's what the rest of my teammates did. And so she helps me, like, write this big, gets a dozen roses, writes this big card to my foster mom to try to get me back on the team. That doesn't work. 
And so, and so, but because she was so involved in, in wanted to be a part of my dreams, I would go to her all the time. And this woman's name is Miss Wilson. And so she said, well, you know, I know one way that you can actually go ahead and, and move across the country and create your life and things like that. She said, well, what do you think about college? I said, man, I've been going on college tours with the Boys and Girls Club. I, I want to go to college. I just don't know how to go there. I don't know what you're actually supposed to do. I don't know. I don't know how it happens. And she said, oh, well, come to my office. And, and I, I'll teach you. I'll show you. And I said, all right. And so I went to her office. And that's when she started to teach me about her two children who I went to uh, MIT and, and in another college. I, f- I forget the other college. Her son and her daughter. And so I'm there and I'm learning from her. And she's teaching me how to fill out college scholarships, college essays, and how to uh, apply to colleges all of the stuff she's teaching me right on the spot. And I'm going in there every single day. She asked me to do something. Oh, um, write this essay over the next week. No, I'm writing that essay in two days. She's asking me to do something else, some other kind of assignment, do some research on this, this, that, and the other. You're going to need transcripts, all of that. She, when she told me that I was going to need transcripts, it's funny because this actually is how I ended up graduating college debt free. This is one of the, one of the tools that I use. But she asked me to to use to she took me to the office and introduced me to the one of the counselors and actually Miss Garibato and she said Miss Garibato this is Kevin Brown Kevin Brown will be uh, coming in from time to time to speak with you and he we also need some transcripts because he's applying for scholarships and so she introduced me that one time and then from there on she told me that I had to go in there and speak with Miss Garibato on my own from now on and advocate for myself. And so me and Garibato became, Miss Garibato became really, really close. And she actually became invested in what it is that I was doing and things like that. And so writing these scholarship essays and things like that, it started to become really interesting that people wanted to pay or, or give scholarship money because I was in foster care. And I was like, man, all I'm trying to do out here is really just survive. And so from there, by the time Miss Wilson and I, we finished, I was accepted to over 26 colleges and universities across the country and I chose Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. I actually want to go back because you know, college was very important, but I think that for my foster care brothers and sisters who may be listening or for those who who may have had the similar experience, I, I might have brushed over something that was very important. Is that even though I was in those nine different placements from zero to five, I still went through at least another five from five through 18. And remember, I, I made it my mission to stay in one place for a long time. But actually, my March of my junior year of high school, uh, my, my foster dad, he had hit me. And so I moved back to Miss Jackson's home in the crest, the crest side of Vallejo. And so I moved back there. And that's where I remained until I emancipated. Uh, and emancipation meaning that I got, I aged out of foster care and at the time when I graduated I mean when I emancipated from foster care once you turn 18 you're out of there you know and but at this point I kind of created a a support network there with the boys and girls club with Miss Wilson and also uh with with Miss Jackson who we actually called nanny so I refer to her as nanny uh from uh, from now on and that name actually came about because my older sister refused for me to call her uh, mother or mom because we had a mom even though my sister knew our mom but I sure didn't so it was it was definitely um, interesting that that name came about and that is still something that uh, that we we hold near and dear and so like I like I was saying earlier you know with with uh, with the help from Miss Wilson in the o- Omega Boys and Girls Club I was able to go to Clark Atlanta University and I went on these eight-day college tours prior when I was in high school from 16 to 18, three years in a row, where I had the opportunity to see what college life was like on a historical black college and university's campus and and see what traveling was like. And so that experience, I mean, for me, I just wanted to get away because I'd be away from my foster care parents, you know, but it was definitely rewarding. And so I went on to Clark Atlanta University and at Clark Atlanta, I had a ball. Uh, I walked on eventually the first year I tried out for the men's basketball team but didn't make it and that was very hard for me you know that that mixed with the fact that I didn't realize how poor I was growing up and also mixed with the fact that 
all of my other friends had relationships with their parents and things like that. And this was like the first time that a lot was coming to a head, especially being 2,400 miles away from where it is that I grew up. So it was definitely a very, very hard year. And, you know, just to be completely honest, I saw a young lady uh, yesterday with a semicolon on her uh, wrist, a tattoo, which symbolizes that your story is not over, over yet. And so I told her that I know a little bit about that. And the reason why is because that freshman year, that was very hard for me. And so I kind of had a little, um, had some suicidal thoughts and things like that. And my friend Tony really helped me uh, not take that route and to continue on uh, living and thriving. And so I went to Clark Atlanta. I walked onto the men's basketball team sophomore year, played on the team for a few years, studied abroad in England. I was studying fashion design and business. Remember my fashion, uh, my desire for fashion and, and clothes and things like that came from not having any when I was younger. So I took that pain and turned it into a passion and also into a, a pleasure point, something that I love to do. And so I moved forward with that. And then also I was part of the Young Entrepreneurs Club and things like that. And then luckily, or not luckily, I earned the opportunity to graduate from Clark Atlanta and of course still striving after my sister's accolade. She got a 4.0 when we were in eighth grade. Well, she was in eighth grade and I was not in eighth grade, but she got a, a 4.0. And so my last semester of college, of course, still striving and wanting to be as great as my big sister. I got a 4.0 my last semester. And so that kind of made me feel really, really good. And from there, I graduated from, from CAU uh, with two degrees, bachelor's in uh, fashion design, business supply chain management. I worked for a clothing company. Then I worked in reality TV for a little while, behind the scenes, of course. And then I w got my job hosting for MTV. Then from there, um, I came to New York, couldn't find a job, was a janitor for a while, homeless, things like that. Then switched over, worked at a clothing company, worked at a clothing company while being a janitor as well. Then eventually started Legacy Thinking Labs, which is my empowerment company that I run now. And so what that is, that's an overall view of what, I guess, what you could say a successful foster care kid is. So you could say, oh, okay, well, yeah, that sounds great. It's like, kind of like this pie in the sky idea that my friend Alicia, she always tells me. That you always make it seem like it's pie in the sky, but how about breaking it down for others so that they can see, like, how exactly did this happen? How exactly did you become you know, did you did you actually get here? Because you didn't just walk into college and things like that. Like, what were your mentalities? What were the things that you were saying to yourself? And then what did you have to do in order to get here? And so I would say one of the biggest things that worked for me and that I feel like will work for anyone, especially my foster care brothers and sisters, is us stopping to listen. Because listening is really, really what is how I got a lot of my game. And when I say game, that's the term that we use back in the Bay Area. And game is basically advice or a way of going about doing something because people say life is a game. So the only way to know how to play it or to play it correctly and find a couple of uh, quote-unquote shortcuts is to learn from people who've been playing it longer than you or who might have a different perspective. So when back home, when I'm listening to Miss Wilson and she's telling me about college and her kids have went and she's went and her husband's went. She's giving me game right there. So I'm listening. When we're out in the park and, you know, it's me and my friends and we up to no good. And the uh, older cat might have enough, uh, might have a, might care about us enough to say, hey, young, young fellas, y'all don't need, y'all should be doing this instead of that. And then it's that, that listening, then being observative. So sometimes when you're listening and you're not talking you had the opportunity to observe what's going on around you. And so one of the biggest things that I observed when I was growing up was is, is that it was a cycle going on. And the cycle was going like this. There were, on my neighborhood, we used to play flat. We used to play uh, tackle football on the concrete. And so me and, my, me and the guys who were my age, we would be basically the wide receivers. And then the older kids, the teenagers, they would be the quarterbacks. And so they were the quarterbacks, and they, well, we would have, you know, people who were on drugs. We would have, you know, prostitutes and things like that. We'd have these people walking up and down the street. And so the older teenagers, they would talk about them, basically signing on them, you know, calling them out for what their habits were and things like that, talking about their kids and stuff like that. And then when we got a little bit older, then we would notice that I noticed that the older kids were becoming 
the people that they were talking about on the street. So then I said to myself, all right, well, I got to figure out, I'm not going out like that. I need some, I got I to gotta go and get some more game. So I started to seek more knowledge. And that's why I was going to the, even when it became unpopular, I was still going to the Continentals of Omega Boys and Girls Club every single day after, after school. Because that was one of the few places, not, not even few, that was the only place, unless I was staying at school, where I wasn't going to have to get into nothing, really be fighting like that. I mean, it was still going down a little bit, but it was, it was a place where positive energy and positive things were happening. And if you stayed up in the in the in the older people's you know faces and in their in their surroundings, man, you were just learning. And so at this point, I just had this desire to learn, you know. And then it was that mindset. Once I figured out that my foster parents was really trying to break me, nah, I'm I'm hungry. I'm hungry now. Like I'm ready. I'm going to create the life that I want. And then when Miss Wilson and Mr. Graham really, really started to pour into me and we would take me and Mr. Graham, we would take our walks and then I would tell them about my dreams and aspirations. And then they would say, you can do it. Then I would just keep feeding into that. And then I, I remember being on, as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, the Continents of Omega Boys and Girls Club, well, it's called the Willie B. Atkins Project. They came together and they had a college tour and they came to New York. And so when they came to New York, I stopped everything that I was doing and went and met them and got on a bus with them and talked with the kids for about 45 minutes. If you live in New York, I talked to them from 125th Street in Lenox all the way down to 34th Street and 8th Avenue. And so I'm talking to the kids and they say, well, where, do your, where does your confidence come from? How did you know that you could do this stuff? And I said to them, I said, look, I said, I'm not doing anything that you guys can't do. The only difference is, actually, as a matter of fact, the same people who mentor me and who were on a college tour with me are on the bus with you. There's no, there's no difference between me and you. Where'd you get your confidence from, Mr. Brown? I would just tell them that I was going to do something, and then they would celebrate it when I did it, and then so I'd go and do it again. I'd go and, crazy, I'd go and, and say that I was going to do something else. Outrageous. Or what seemed to be outrageous. And then I would just keep doing it. And so my confidence was building because I was doing what I was saying I was going to do. And I, and I told him about this one time that one of my mentors, she was an attorney, you know, Miss Davis. And I, t- I told this story to the kids. When I was 19 years old, I wanted my clothing company so bad, I wanted to get my trademark and everything. I didn't have any, any gear or anything. I mean, any, any clothes or anything. But I wanted this trademark. And Miss Davis told me to wait. You're not ready. This, that, and the other. And I'm in college. So what do I do? I go, but she told me the website. She said, USPTO.gov. And so I said to myself, I said, all right, well, let me go on here onto the website. So I went onto the website, printed out everything on it and read all the stuff about trademarks. I filed for my trademarks, got my trademark. I had my first two trademarks when I was 20 years old. And I went back home to California because I was at Clark Atlanta. I went back home to California and showed them to Ms. Davis. I said, see, Ms. Davis, I was ready. And in typical Ms. Davis fashion, she was like, good job. You know, she wasn't salty because she told me not to do it or anything like that. So I would have to tell my foster care brothers and sisters or those who are working with with young people or anyone who wants to, who has their dreams and aspirations and goals to, to, man, to celebrate people, you know, and encourage them because you never know. I'm not an attorney, never wanted to study law. I just read and reread those words on that USPTO.gov. And trust me, my vocabulary was not that, that great because I was definitely looking up words um, in the dictionary to try to figure out what this stuff meant. But I was determined and it was that drive because I knew that at no point in time did I ever want to grow up and have to live like it was that I did when I was growing up. So that was a part of my drive. And that's a part of what has been been guiding me even still to this day. And so with the, the foster care experience, you know, even being able to to speak to my foster care brothers and sisters and even being honored to to speak across in Australia, they called me, called me, I spoke at the Japan conference, then they called me up and said, we want you to speak at the 2015 conference in Australia. We want, we want you to be the opening keynote speaker. That was extremely humbling, but it was definitely possible because of the, the decisions and the way that I was going about things when I, when I was younger. So now what I want to do is I really, really want to 
dive into the, the 10 habits of highly successful foster care children um, that I have here so that I make sure that I'm giving you some, some blessings and some, some game about life and how to go about creating yours. Because again, even with this show, the Create Your Life series, even with going to college, I, I wrote a book, 10 Ways Anyone Can Graduate from College Debt Free. I wrote that book with my foster care brothers and sisters in mind with people who need a one-up in mind, like just to help. Because along this road, so many people have helped me. Man, if I could sit here for probably five days and just talk about, you know, all the people that helped me even during that foster care experience. You know, I didn't even really get to delve in that deep. But I just want to run through these 10 really quickly for you. Uh, The first one being building and maintaining healthy relationships. So when, when we're out here, like foster care definitely teaches us to, to build relationships with people, but it doesn't teach us how to maintain them. And so that's one of the things that I really, really have to work on, you know, is, is maintaining and, and understanding where our healthy relationships are and what it is that we can, I mean, who it is that we should be attached to or who it is that we should be around. Because even, even in 2016 right now, I'm still uh, releasing some friendships that might not be serving the both of us. Uh, the best. And so number two, uh, financial literacy is under us understanding our money and where our money's coming from and uh, how to take care of it and invest it and make sure that we're covering our overhead and making sure that we can actually uh, live. That's super important because oftentimes we, we don't even handle our own finances as foster care children because everything's being dictated to us and done, dictated to us and done for us. So it's very important for us to understand that. And number three is to take advantage of the higher education and vocational opportunities. So that being said, in some states, you can go to college for free. They'll give you complete tuition free in certain states. And others, they won't, but there's still other funding opportunities out there like the Chafee Grant. And then now I have Debt-Free College Academy, and I'm working to make that a part of some of the state systems. Um resources for foster care children so that then you could know how to navigate the college financial system just like I did. And then the next one, number four, is finding and maintaining employment. See, we're, we're oftentimes moving around from place to place, house to house, and things like that, that we don't even understand how, how to even keep a job because everything in life has been temporary, just like that temp agency. But we, we have to learn how to find and maintain employment. Right now, I'm just naming these things off of my list. But if you go to KevinYBrown.com and click on the free tab, you can actually get this PDF download. And along with me explaining to you what the actual habit is, I also offer at least three solutions for each single habit. So please go there and download it if you can use this resource. Number five is knowing how to secure stable housing. Again, that's that life is temporary. You know, how often do, what is it? It's, I think it's 73% of us, no, 65% of us live in at least seven different homes from the time we're in foster care. At least seven different homes. I was in nine before I was five. So we don't know about stable housing, but we have to learn about it and we have to learn how to create our life and change our life around. And so I have the solutions here for you on how to do that. Yeah. Number six, the health and wellness lifestyle. That's understanding what we're putting in our body and being active and and fit and taking care of ourselves. Because again, oftentimes we're in situations where our foster care parents, there's no educational requirements. There's There's no guidelines about what it is that we eat and things like that. So we're not necessarily, we don't learn how to take care of ourselves or eat healthy. And so we want to be here for a long time because you know what? After we turn 18 or after we emancipate at 24 now, you know, you guys are so lucky that you can receive all of these benefits and help and and resources up until that age. I'm happy for you. But we, once we emancipate and we, when we stop that part of our life, then that's when you have the rest of your life to create. I mean, you have, you could create right now where you are, but you still have that time where where care is no longer really attached to you. And so you have that time and you want to be healthy throughout all of those years where you are living on your own terms and doing what it is that you want to do, creating the life that you want. That's the health and wellness lifestyle. And then number seven, perspective. This is one of the biggest things. And I say this in, at every, every single time I'm speaking to my foster care brothers and sisters, or I'm speaking to anybody. 
Foster care is an opportunity. It is not a tragedy. Because to be honest with you, if I was raised with my biological family, I can guarantee you I wouldn't be here if I would be alive or not incarcerated. Because I was headed down that path with those mentors and those different opportunities and and experiences and people trying to break me made me stronger. But my foster care brothers and sisters, you guys are all just as strong as I am, if not stronger. Because a lot of us have been through God knows what and are still standing. So, and we have more resources available to us as foster care children than we would if we were with our parents. It's an opportunity. Academic resources, health, dental, I mean, the list goes on. Eight, strategic sharing. And that means that if somebody asks you, how's your holidays going and things like that, I mean, your holidays might really suck, but you do not want to tell the whole world that. Give people only, you know, a little bit of what they can handle. Nobody should know your entire story. Just give them a little bit. And if they're your friends and y'all really tight like that, then you can share everything else with them. And number nine, finding mentors wherever you go. This has been my saving grace. This is, I call them X factors because without the mentors, you will not make it. They're like coaches and tutors, you know, Everybody who's who's made it big or who is somebody has somebody else that they looked up to or who they've learned the game from or learned game from. And I could start running off a list of right now of mentors that I still have up until this point. You know, I got Kevin Gray, Marie Brown, Lainey Brown, Raphael Moffitt. I mean, I could go on and on and on about finding the mentors wherever you go, because that makes the difference and that's how you learn how to how to live life differently than where you than the way that you grew up is I learned a lot through my healthy relationships with my friends and through mentors understanding uh, different perspectives and how things can be done and then number 10 last but definitely not least least is being aware of your environments be aware of the environments that you're in and the people that are around you and I say this because this is so huge. When I was growing up and I saw that those, those other kids were becoming the people that they were talking about when we were playing football in the street, even when I go home now, you know, I might have been friends with some people since we were kids, but it's certain things that they're up to or certain things that, that they do that I'm not interested in or that are not in my best interest. So I find myself asking myself, dude, what are you doing? Why are you here? And then when I'm in other environments, I'm like, man, it really feels good to be here. It really feels good to be around these people. I'm happy that I'm here. Then that's the feeling that you want. And you want that you want to be around people who celebrate you, who celebrate your small accomplishments and who also celebrate your major ones. And you have to also be able to give that back to them as well. You got to celebrate. You basically want to be around a, people, a group of people who want to who want to see you win and that you want to see win, too. I call it uh, positive competition. You know, I want to see all of my friends be as great as they could be so that they can push me to be as great as I can be. So we're all winning. You know, and that's that type of energy. That's the type of environments that we want to to be around. And that's what we're going to need. You know, my foster care, and I'm saying this to my foster care brothers and sisters, but I also want to circle back and say that there's going to also be a lot of internal work that we're going to have to do. You know, because that experience is like no other. I mean, just growing up faster than everybody else. When I'm in class, you know, and I'm talking about in high school and middle school, I'm in class in elementary. I'm in class because I I always knew that no matter where I lived, I was never a part of that family and that I could leave at any time. Because everything, we kept moving, kept moving, kept moving. Myself and my older sister, we kept moving. But understanding that I might get a call slip to the office any every, any day and I might have to move meant that I had to be planning and have, have my grades in order, basically had to have one bag packed. So I was always one foot out of the door. So my pressures as a teenager were different. But when you become an adult, you have to you have to unpack that and you have to learn to to understand that you're in control and that things don't necessarily have to be like that forever and that they may no longer be like that. Of course, you know, you still have this this ambition. You're feeding your ambition with your dreams because at one point, once my sister left and I kind of started to hit the straight and narrow, my dreams were the only thing that I had. 
the only thing. I'm, I mean, literally drawing clothes every single day, just locked in. That's all I cared about. That's all I wanted. And that's all that mattered to me. That's what my life was, you know, and even still today, I'm very, very serious about my dreams. But believing, we got to believe Believe that we could create our life and believe in what it is that we want to do with all of your heart. Because guess what? When I told Miss Wilson I wanted to be that host for MTV, have my own clothing company, and and create my life, the life that I wanted away from California as far away as possible, and have my dreams. But guess what? I'm on the other coast of the United States. I hosted for MTV. I have my own clothing company, and now I'm moving into now that I've done those things and I created that life. I want to make it even better. So now I got new dreams and hopes and, and things that I want to do. And so you got to have those dreams and those hopes and those things that you want to do. And you got to do it. You got to put in the work. And you have to, we have to enroll the people who we want to help us, get them involved, people who can help us, and soak up that game. Listen. You, gotta, you have to Listen. Listening and believing, two of the biggest things. But believing in yourself is huge. I hope that this was a really good episode for you guys and that you really got something out of this. And to all of my foster care brothers and sisters, I just want to say I love you and create your life. It's very possible. Uh, If you have any questions for us, need anything answered, email us at cyls which stands for Create Your Life Series at LegacyThinkingLabs.com. You can follow us on Instagram at CYL Series. You can leave uh, comments and messages there as well. You can DM us. And this is the Create Your Life Series. I love you all, beautiful people. We'll be back next Sunday with a beautiful guest. Create your life.